Hey, Patty. How you doing, buddy? Not too bad. And in Brooklyn, this is Patty McManaman, and I am joined by a very special guest, all the way from London, England, Chris Mansfield. Say hello, Christy. Hello. It's okay I call you Christy? No. Okay. <laughs> well, it just fit with the Matty, Patty, and Christy. Yeah, that's sort of the theme. That's sort of the theme here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris knows almost nothing about American, American sports, let alone Cleveland sports, so it struck me that he'd be a perfect addition to this podcast. So, Chris, we welcome your ignorance. Um, it is equaled by my own ignorance of English sports. So, yeah, well, I've experienced that. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> good to have you here. Chris is here from out of town visiting, so I, I, I'm forcing him to sit here while we do a podcast because uh, the next round starting, Maddie. You're Come a terrible on. host. That's why you're doing it, Pat. I've known that for years. Well, I'm plying him with some some manly rosé uh, yeah. as we do the podcast. Some that, some that rose, would be a trick. Some rosé, if you if you would. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Jose. Which we're drinking out of dainty coupe glasses. Mm. Um, so welcome. Welcome to the Cleveland Sports Hour. We are two, two self-aware but unapologetic homers who spend far too much time watching, reading, and thinking about the, the Cavs, the Browns, and the Tribe. So if you like the informed, intelligent Cleveland fans' perspective, you've come to the right place. All right. So, Maddie, the Cavs dispatched the Pistons in a hard-fought sweep. Whew. Range Liked great. It. It was a hard-fought sweep in round one, and now we face a rematch with the Hawks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. So we'll take a look back first on uh, Stan Van Gundy's hilarious reactions to back-breaking Kyrie bombs, uh, and then preview the upcoming Hawks series. But before we get to that, the new Browns regime of Harvard baseball analytic geniuses had their first draft this weekend, Maddie. Oh, yeah. It was exciting. So, so let, let's, talk, let's talk about that first, and then we'll, we'll touch on the tribe briefly because they are suddenly scuffling after a very promising start. So, again... Today we'll start with some quick hits in the Browns and the Tribe before getting to our Eastern Conference semifinal preview. Uh, Maddie, give me your your quick off the cuff reaction to uh, the Browns first, the, the new regime's first NFL draft. So I'm going to preface all this by saying I know very little about college football. <laughs> yeah, likewise. Um, like like beyond the first couple players, I know nothing, let alone getting into the later rounds. Uh, so all my takes are just basic a basic philosophy I have. So in general. Acquiring more picks is the right move. I agree with that 100%. Uh, both as a, especially with the cheap rookie contracts, is a way to fill your roster, let go of your veterans when it's time to let go, and just keep a roster replenished. That's the way to do it. Uh, acquiring more and more is the way to do it. It seems like maybe they have unearthed a new, um, I'm blanking on the word, but an underutilized asset in that people undervalue future draft picks. Like there's this logic of if you get a first round pick next year, it's really a second round pick. That's stupid. No other sport treats it like that. Basketball doesn't. No, uh, so, so I'm hoping they sort of go into that and acquire future picks like that because it's a, it's a undervalued asset everywhere else. But anyway, getting a lot is great. Uh, and then I think this, this regime will give them a chance to see what their draft record looks like. They deserve a draft or two before we're able to determine that and sort of folly to give it a grade at this point anyway, in my opinion, yeah, unless you're doing something really stupid. And because we had needs all across the board, I think your only issue 
there as if we got a, the quarterback we wanted or not. And once we traded out of the two spot, I think it was sort of a guessing game. We weren't going to get a sure thing quarterback there anyway. So I, I, I feel good. Yeah, no, I feel good too, but but uh, it's, it's interesting. You said, that, uh, you know, we aren't going to know about the draft, how good it is until three or four years. It's really difficult because most regimes only have two or three uh, years before things stink. Here, sure. But the thing is, like, I thought Tom Hecker's uh, drafts were great early on. Uh, honestly, he had a few big hits, obviously, with Joe Hayden, uh, uh, Jabal Sheard. But he had a ton of misses, and I'm not sure how much else we have that really to show for what we did. Yeah. With Hecker. And, and that wasn't apparent at first. The first two years, I was all, on, all in on Tom Hecker. This is our previous GM from, like, two or three regimes ago. Uh, I'll explain to Chris here. Uh, what's that? Yeah, he knows Tom. Yeah, he's, he's friends with them. He, he you know, drinks with them, which is the you know, reason Tom Hecker has a problem. He says drinking problems. Too much rosé. Yes, yeah, too much rosé. Um, Although, I, I, I want to add one thing into the mix there, Pat, which is because the Browns are such a screwed-up organization, it's also hard to tell how much of it was a player development issue because they were turning that coaching staff over constantly. That's, that's a great um, so the hope now is that we that that uh, Haslam has learned his lesson, that he's got both a coaching staff and a front office that'll be in place for a little while, and I I mean four years or something like that, um, and that we'll honestly be able to evaluate that stuff. But yeah, we're not going to know for a little bit. Well, let's do a quick recap a little bit of what happened. So we started out with the second pick in the draft, and I think maybe eight nine total picks through seven rounds. Right, we had a couple of compensatory selections. Yeah. We started with nine, I feel like, right? Is that right? Yeah. I know we had at least two compensatory selections. So I think was, we had three. I think we had three, actually. Ten. We started with ten picks. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Seven rounds, including the second pick in the draft. We were obviously angling for Jared Goff because the first pick in the draft belonged to uh, Tennessee, who already had their new shiny quarterback from last year, uh, Marcus Mariota. Uh, but then – uh, the Rams traded up from the 15th pick to the first, and it was clear they were taking Jared Goff. And apparently, so the, Cat, the Browns still could have signed or drafted Carson Wentz, who was the you know consensus number two on the board. This gigantic, uh, uh, you know, beast of a guy from a small school who had gaudy records. Sounds familiar, Matty, right? Sounds like a, a, a guy that Browns are very familiar with. Sort of, except this one's a ginger. Big Ben. Big Ben, he knows. Who, is it Chris knows who Big Ben is? So that's the, we could have passed up on a guy that Chris would actually know who this is. Not the fact. not the clock. <laughs> not the clock. Not it's the all clock. goofed up. <laughs> so we pass on him, and by trading back from the second to the eighth pick, we also passed up a chance to sign. You know, to draft keeps him signed to draft Joey Bosa, went number yep. three, and Ezekiel Elliott number four. Although I'm kind of glad we didn't do that. I love Zeke, but we didn't need to draft a running back in the first ten picks again. Um, no, agreed. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what we passed up. We passed up a chance to those three key players, and we gained, I mean, a ton. To go from second to eight, we got a first rounder next year. We got a second rounder this year, right? No, second rounder next year. Second rounder in two years, a third rounder this year. That's right. That's right. Because we only had one second First rounder, rounder next year. It was, a, it was a ton of stuff. And then we traded again from eight to 15, adding more picks. We ended up having 14 picks in this draft, Matty. That's like two full drafts. And then what I love is that we had we drafted four linebackers, right? Uh, a couple of them defensive end that we're going to convert to three, four uh, 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 outside linebackers. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but yeah, four sure. four yeah. linebackers slash ends. Yes. Uh, right, and then like uh, five wide receivers, one yeah. who's who's going to be converted to tight end. But like what I like about that, we are going to possibly use all those guys almost certainly. 
But so what? You, well, you, here's you're going to have misses in every draft. But what's nice about this is that if you know you're increasing your odds, you get two full-fledged great wide receivers as opposed to you know one or two and missing elsewhere. I guess that's the nit that I would pick if I was going to pick one here. Is that it doesn't it doesn't make sense to pick because I think all the wide receivers went none of them went six or seven in the sixth or seventh round, right? I think they were all in the top five rounds that we picked. So why pick more receivers than you have roster space for? Unless we think all, there's a possibility they all make the team. Um, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying of just go for it and see who makes it, but it seems like enough wide receivers come as unre- unre- uh, undrafted free agents. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'd rather just bring guys into camp and, and feel it out like that and maybe fill some other roster spots yeah, that, that we that, need. That, that's another, that's another criticism this this regime uh, uh, faced from this draft is there's at least two guys that were not on anyone's anyone's consensus top 300, and we picked them obviously in the first 300. The kids uh, from Princeton and who else? Uh, guy from Princeton, I, I uh, I'm trying to remember who the other guy was. It may have been the safety, but I can't remember. Um, the safety we picked up, Dredger, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember, but but there was at least two. Apparently that we picked that uh, we're not anyone's uh, top. And also the quarterback we took, Kessler. Not Kessler, sorry. Uh, yeah, Kessler. Kessler, right? you got it. You got it. Uh, the quarterback we took, everyone was kind of surprised by and had a much higher uh, round for him. Like we, we frequently pick guys that should have been, by conventional wisdom, available a, uh, a round or two later, which is a big no-no in drafts. But that's what you think, Maddie. Is this is this just the sign of our analytics team uh, thinking very differently than the rest of the league and and potentially properly valuing guys that the rest of the league doesn't value, or are these guys completely out of their depth? Which which do you think it is? I mean, it's the Browns. Assuming they, 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 they. <laughs> right. So you bet there. You bet it's going to go haywire. Uh, the answer is we don't know. Right. Yeah. Like the the thing that I like is that the organization seems to be on the same page with the draft. Right. Like mm-hmm. Hugh Jackson, at least is saying that he feels very good about everything. It's a far cry from the days where Haslam wanted one thing, the GM wanted something, the coach wanted something else. There wasn't an organizational philosophy. It feels like we have a philosophy now, which yeah. to me is probably more important than any of the individual picks that you make, is that get a bunch of numbers and then have a philosophy that you're willing to stick to. That is the start of something at a minimum for this yeah, conversation. Yeah. What I like about this is, uh, yeah, it feels like they'll only get better if they screwed up a couple times here. I like their general philosophy and approach, uh, and they're so the Browns have been so bad for so long. I'm happy to give these guys like three or four years to figure it out. Uh, yeah, and that's the key is we have to. There, we there have. can't be a panic reset. Hit the reset no. button and exactly. a year or two. That would exactly. be a disaster. Yeesh. Um, another interesting thing I, I picked up on this was the, the constant drafting of guys who were walk-ons. So that's you know, just explain to Chris in the background. Uh, most uh, people who get drafted in the NFL tend to be like highly recruited uh, stars out of high school or get from you know, tons of scholarship money thrown at them off the bat. We drafted at least two guys, if not three, I believe, that um, did not have any scholarship whatsoever, but literally were just dudes that went to this college and walked on and tried out for the team, made it, and became stars. So these are guys who work their ass off uh, to get, and they eventually got scholarships after they proved to the, to the, to the university how, how valuable they were as a player. So that's kind of interesting. But is that, you know, are these guys just overachievers that we're getting who will be exposed to the NFL level? Uh, I don't know. We don't know. That's their emphasis on, on analytics, and analytics is about production, and these guys have been very productive uh, analytically. So Production uh, and also the, the recurring theme was pretty good uh, citizens too, which you hope yeah. means more than anything, more than that they – 
work hard, which is a good thing, is that it also seems like guys who walk on are also coachable. Yeah. Um, which is something that you want, assuming our coaching staff is halfway decent, which we hope that it is. Um, so if that's what you're looking for, guys, good programs, mm-hmm. work hard, good reputations, we're productive at the only level at which you can value production. Um, I, those that all seems reasonable to me. Yeah, and I like I like the drafting of a ton of linebackers for a three four scheme since it feels weird that we switched to a three four scream scream which has you know four linebackers we never really like heavily invested in it we just kind of took some guys in the free agency like yeah we should be drafting the shit out of linebackers yeah constant stream of linebackers so I like the big the big investment there I like um, that a couple a couple uh, linemen that look like they should be playable yeah more or less right away I, I thought it was a good good draft the um, Looking at grades, um, you mm-hmm. sent me. Who's did you send me yesterday, Pat? That's I think uh, Focus, which is a big analytics website. Yeah, gave us the the top grade along with the Jaguars. Um, most of the other ones I look like. Most people liked the Jaguars and didn't like ours. Yeah. Um, although it was for the reasons that you sort of stressed, it wasn't so much bad thoughts about anybody individually, but just that we grabbed them when we shouldn't have. Right. And even like Kuiper gave us a C or a C minus, I think. Mm-hmm. But if you go through his reasoning, he has good things to say about every single player that we took. Yeah, so it's a weird. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, I mean, that, as I said, grades are sort of stupid in in these situations. But um, but this was interesting about this. Here's here's my here's my half baked theory about why the Browns they may have been the smart smarter than the rest of the league here. Um, uh, the analytics guys are playing by different rules, as opposed to the 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 uh, you know the almost cliched rules of drafting, which we all internalize in a lot of fantasy football snake drafts. Right? You don't want to snatch a guy too early because you know you're going to be uh, uh, you know be harder to find a player later, right? Sure. For your value. But the Browns are basically baking into the formula. You're going to miss some guys. Just odds are guys look a certain way and they just don't pan out. And you can't predict that. It's unpredictable. It's random. So if you get as many picks as possible, in this case we got twice as many picks as you normally get, and you don't wait for these guys to be available because if, if, if you, you know, just miss on them by a pick or two in the fifth round, no one gives you a reward for that. Like, target the guys you want, as many as you can, when you can, and the order that you think that they are available, and just get them. Yeah. Uh, and, if, and, and get as many as you can, and you can take risks on guys because, you know, you're buying twice as many of them. So that's yeah. that's I feel like there's an, there, this is where the numbers come in and it may make them look good. Um, no, I, I I feel I feel good about it and yeah. and as guarded and as I know this isn't going to work out way as you can. I mean the big thing is we didn't take a swing at one of the quarterbacks. We talked mm-hmm. about that before when we first made the trade out. If we didn't feel great about them, and it seems like there's plenty of reason not to feel great about either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, get out. It's yeah. not like we're a quarterback away from doing something here. No, interestingly, like, you know, we drafted a quarterback who, you know, the draft grades uh, kind of said worst case scenario, he's almost certainly going to be a quality NFL backup. Well, that's not a bad thing to have, one, because mm-hmm. you can trade that. That's actually trade. And, and, and secondly, uh, uh, Jason Akinfora, I forget that's name. The guy uh, who loves, uh, what's his face? Loves Mike Lombardi, who is yeah. the uh, toxic uh, 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 former GM who lasted one year. It was a disaster from the beginning. Um, he loves that guy, and he's always kind of held a grudge against the Browns. He's a reporter for CBS, but he holds a grudge against the Browns because we fired his buddy. 
And he was like digging the Browns for passing all his quarterbacks, right? Passing on uh, Wentz, passing on uh, uh, Paxton Lynch, passing several times on Connor Cook, who the Raiders, he prayed to the hilt for, for trading up with us at the top of the fourth round to take uh, and say, you know, we'll you know, see how Kessler works out. Like he's going to suck. And he praised him for the fact that you draft guys, build them up, even though the Raiders already have a franchise quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Or draft this guy just to groom to be a backup. Yet we're being criticized for the same thing, even though we trade out. I, I don't know. Dude's a, dude's a piece of work. Uh, Chris, any thoughts, any, any analysis from England on the Browns NFL draft? Uh, just, just a question on on when in the draft process the players get issued the gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Uh, I, I, you know, I gotta say, uh, Tunsil's name, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think someone, our, one, one of our friends uh, and uh, players, I think it was Grant, who said like, uh, and probably I'm gonna get it if I get this wrong, but, but you gotta, you gotta, you know, value that guy's commitment. Yeah, do it, do it right. I have zero problem with that, but all this stuff I've I've read is that most of these teams are aware that most of the players that they're picking have smoked pot at some point in their collegiate careers, right? Um, right. And that in the actual draft process, guys are real honest about it, and so this thing just dropped on him at the worst possible moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, me too, me too. All right, uh, Maddie, what the fuck happened to the tribe? Hi, listen, I am exceedingly frustrated with it. Coming, I was I was so ready for the, the sweep at the hands of the Tigers last weekend. Yeah. And it came the other way. came the other way for us, which was fantastic. I was like, all right, they're cooking now. We had, we easy week. Maddie, with a double sweep. We swept the Pistons on the same day. We swept the Tigers. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was awesome. And then we had an easy, relatively easy week of the Twins and the Phillies. Um, and it managed to lose five of six games, which is unbelievable. The only consolation we can take, and this is, uh, this, is this is this is not much, but um, we're just losing games by one run constantly. All five of those, right? All five by one run? Yeah, I think that's right. Or with the one walk-off in uh, Minnesota might have been multi, but it was a walk-off, which is in – Oh, there were, no, there were back-to-back walk-offs in Minnesota, I thought. But Yeah, I think one of those was somebody hit a big home run. Oh, that's, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. Maybe but like, functionally, that's like a one-run game in that, some ways. Um, you know, the, the, that is luck in baseball a lot of times. That's how we're, your hits are aggregated, all sorts of stuff that you don't necessarily have control over. Um, so you'd hope that would swing back around a little bit, but uh, mm -hmm. the bullpen has been a mess. Shaw and, and Allen, in particular, uh, have been really yeah. not good. Allen's blown back-to-back -back saves, no? Yeah. Um, it's it's. I don't. I think the second one might not have been a blown save. I think it's just a loss because we we didn't have the lead when he came in. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, I mean, but it, super frustrating, uh, guys. Hitting a little bit, but we're still waiting for some people. You know, Brantley just came back and isn't really hitting yet. I'll give him a pass, but yeah. Well, the uh, other, the, very the other, frustrating. The other positive take from this is that this is still the best April we've ever had on, under Terry Francona. <laughs> yeah, horrible week. So uh, you know, we're right around five hundred. I mean, the White Sox are roaring ahead, and the Royals with them. So we're in a little bit of a hole already. Uh, but you know, long season, and uh, I, I'm happy to see. Uh, Kluber getting his form back the last couple starts. Uh, Salah yeah. looks good. Um, the hitting just failed us today. The hitting's been pretty good all around. For the most part, our hitting's been really good. 
Um, it's been it's been good, not really good, but it's been no. fine. Well, for the Indians, the have not been a great hitting team in the past couple of years. We've been okay, and it's been better. Yeah. Been better yes. than normal. It's been it's been what we need for yes. sure. Um, so yeah, let's, let's plenty, see of, pl- plenty of season left, and tons and tons of games against the Royals and the White Sox in particular. So. Yeah. There's time to make it up. Fortunately, we were worried that Carrasco was going to be done for the year. She should be back uh, sometime in June, I think, if everything goes according to plan, which is a, a nice break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been a little we've, – we've caught our injuries early. I'm hoping we get them out of the way early. Yeah, uh, exactly. With Brantley, Chisenhall, Carrasco. Uh, Roberto Perez is out now for a little bit. I think he fractured his thumb make, making that play yesterday, um, which is an underrated – down thing he's a really good backup catcher for us yeah um so i don't want to talk about him too much i'm so freaking frustrated by this this weekend's philly series but uh all all hope is not lost let's let's move on to the main event the uh cavaliers uh i'm gonna start off with uh the pistons who as as i said i think uh uh late in that game four that we nearly blew uh i was like god let's just win this game and get the fuck out of here. I don't want to play these guys anymore. Like, no, no, I'd had, I'd had enough. I was so glad we got out of there. Like we did. Uh, cause one, they're a good team. They, they are dangerous and they probably could have stolen another game at some point. I think we still would have won. Like I was worried about us winning a four, two series. Um, but, uh, you know, they, I forget who said, but somebody was talking to, um, I forget which reporter this was. It was either David Meneman or, uh, Jason Lloyd. I think it was Jason Lloyd actually. That uh, some veteran on the Cavs team was saying a lot of young teams like this where they get to the playoffs, they don't have any experience, and they're just told they have to play tough. They have to mm-hmm. play, and they don't know how to play tough in a way that's responsible and not incredibly dangerous. And like you know, uh, uh, Marcus Morris they tore you know Love's arm off again. Uh, you know, this is game four of every first round series for Love. Someone tries to tear his arm off. Yeah, uh, you know, and that happened in the, in the Celtics series. In the Celtics in their series next lap, you know, uh, against uh, uh, the Hawks, same thing. They were playing, you know, they're the same kind of like dirty out, you know, scrappy, faux hard style of basketball. Yeah, yeah. No, I was super thrilled to get out of there when we did, and in the way that we did. Not in the way that we did. I take that back. That last game was super frustrating. I was yeah. super glad we got out in the minimum number of games possible. The first three, game, the first three games are very solid. Even though they were close games throughout the first half, we pulled away in the third quarter each time, and we didn't just rely on the, bottom, the threes. The threes sometimes weren't there. Oftentimes they were there, and it was certainly very helpful when they were there. But we kept working things inside. Love was scrapping and playing well for most of the games. He played terribly in game four, but, you know, uh, he, was, he was not invisible elsewhere. He was out there on the court at the end of the game. So. No, as you pointed out, he shot terribly, but he, the rest of his game was, was pretty decent. He was, a monster especially. he was a monster on the boards that I hadn't remembered and see, seen him do, except when he was in Minnesota. Like, he hadn't really done that for us. He got a lot of rebounds, but you didn't really kind of feel him out there. And you felt him on game four, so that was nice to see. Yeah, um, to- totally agree. But again, our, our big three keys, if we go back to the last podcast, I think you and I mostly agreed on uh, was perimeter defense. Uh, and I felt we really held them in check during the defense for the most part. They had a few moments, but the bulk, I think we held out in that score, no? I, we were good there. I think our, if we want to call this perimeter, we were pretty good at preventing uh, dribble penetration. Right. I, I think our closeouts on threes yes. uh, were not great. 
And that, that continued throughout this year. I mean, obviously a problem in game one and the Pistons shot the light out lights out, but it never improved to the degree that perhaps we would have wanted. Yeah. And the other thing is that the, a lot of the threes were in transition. What's yeah. That? One, one second. Uh, uh, my, my children are going to bed and I may need to go up and say goodnight. What's that, Becca? Okay. Uh, I, I will watch Matt on a monologue at some point. And I will, I will say goodnight to my son in the middle of that monologue. You ready for that, Matt? I don't know why I can't talk to Chris. You could talk to Chris. That would be a great idea. That'd be a great idea. You can talk about James LeBron. He's my favorite. James LeBron. He loves James LeBron. Uh, before, before I go up, uh, I, I, I don't want to extend this too long, but uh, uh, to leave my last point, which was the, the threes, I think a lot of the threes that happened were on transition threes. They came very early in the shot clock. As we were mixed up, because I think we crossed, mat, uh, uh, we crossed up our matchups, right? So, like, whoever's matching us on, when we were on offense, we didn't necessarily guard those exact same guys on defense. So there was, there was a lot of, like, searching out guys and picking out who we were supposed to cover on the transition, and then that left them a lot of open looks early in the shot clock. Yeah, I mean, that's not good. Yeah, no, so that's and something to criticize, and it seemed like we got it together in the second half of games. Mm-hmm. Um, this is no secret. They their offense was great in the first. The Pistons' offense was super successful in the first halves and pretty limited in the second halves. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just us turning it up a notch. Maybe that's us figuring out our assignments. Although it seems weird that that wouldn't translate game to game, right? Um, <laughs> but defense was not was not fantastic all the way through. No, no, no. no. The other thing and is it, we. We kept hitting our threes throughout. That was one good thing that kind of kept us uh, uh, from blowing games. Yeah, that's true. And LeBron was fantastic throughout the series, with the exception of one game where he was missing a lot of shots. But then Ky- but the big thing we didn't talk about was Kyrie. Kyrie really stood up. Like, I mean, he, he, his defense was way better than it had been in the regular season. Not amazing, but he was no longer a huge liability, I felt like. Um, no, he, was, he was trying more or less. And man, he just started to shoot lights out on, uh, uh, on three balls. That was pretty nice. Um, so yeah, why, why don't you start now while, while I'm upstairs to get to my child? Uh, why don't you uh, uh, share your thoughts on Kyrie's play in the Pistons series? And Chris will attempt to, to, to pretend that he knows what you're talking about. Ready? Yeah, me and Chris are just going to talk now. Yes, yes, go. Hey, Chris. Hey, man. Uh, you big Kyrie Irving fan? Yeah, Kylie. Kylie's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's cool. The Britishisms of everything are fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Kyrie Irving, right? I don't Kyrie. Know. Kyrie. That's right. Not not like Kylie Minogue. No. But Kyrie Irving. So, who's your? What does he do? He, is he is he my new favorite player? Or? Uh, he's an ex- extremely frustrating player. That is the, the second most important player on the Cavs. Uh, who has been pretty up and down this year. And we were looking for him to have a sort of breakout, redefine himself as a player and be, go to a different level. And Pat went so far as to say that that would have to happen for us to win the championship. He would have to be our best player, better even than James LeBron. And that mm-hmm. has not happened this year. So he is a, a constant source of worry and concern for us. I guess that's going to be my question. I don't know much about um, any of your sports, but having been friends with Patrick for a long time, I know how much pain he's felt um, with Cleveland um, failing either just or very hard. In every yes. Year. And what would it take to, to break the curse? And it sounds like you've just given one example. Kyrie Irving having a consistent season. Yes. 
and, uh, and, and even better than more than that being sort of transcendent going mm -hmm. to another level of it. He's been at, uh, I don't know, it's a certain ceiling where it felt like he was a scorer in bunches. He could get hot and score a lot and you could count on him to do that, but maybe not much else. Uh, we need him to do more than that. And he showed glimpses last year. It felt like he was getting there and then he got hurt in the playoffs. So it all sort of got taken away and then he's never really gotten back to that level or exceeded it this season. So we started to see a little bit of that in the series that we just went through. Um, he looked better. He's had a problem this year with uh, constantly. He's not a great defender. Uh, he doesn't have great instincts and tends to lose himself a little bit. So he's a little bit better there. Defense in the NBA is mostly about effort and communication and thinking. Uh, and he was a little bit better there. He also has a terrible problem with over dribbling the ball and sort of getting himself into situations where he almost corkscrews himself into the ground and into the defense rather than just moving the ball around and letting his teammates help. Uh, and as a point guard, that is one of the main things that you are supposed to be able to do is involve your teammates and enable the offense to be a little higher functioning than just a one-on-one -on -one game. Uh, he got into a little bit of that in this series, but less than we'd seen in the regular season. And the good parts about his game, which is that he's an amazing finisher and can be a great shooter, uh, really came around, which, which was fantastic uh, and gave us some hopes going into this next series. So it was good. Chris, let me ask you about this. Has Pat talked to you about the kill list? I think he might have indicated that you had some conversation about it in a non-sports context this week. Um, kill list? Murdering people in a consequence-free environment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have had this conversation. There was a lot of rosé involved in it. But, um, that's okay. That's it's a good it's a good rosé conversation. Yeah. So, so, so the kill list. I mean, I'm um, oh, rather kill list. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not entirely sure that um that I would want to kill anyone, but um. No, no, Chris, I feel that you're lying to me now. Uh, you know, the consequence for your environment, I'd probably just go around slaying everyone that I saw. That's the problem because once you get that bloodlust, and <laughs> uh, once you go into a fugue state. Just, just the enjoyment of, of murdering people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you know, once you've got the machete wet and, mm -hmm. and the hot blood is running between your fingers, it needs to be fed. It needs to be fed. Yeah, that's my that's my view on on any kind of kill list. Um, yeah. The list becomes very quickly the whole world. Did you share Everyone. What, did you share what our house guest uh, uh, said when we asked her to pick someone that you would kill in a controversial environment? Um, no. She well, I mean, she picked Donald Trump, which is not you know very surprising. But I like that she picked, uh, we asked her, like, what method would she use? And she went straight for, oh, a pillow pillowcase. I would suffocate him with a pillow. Wow. Like, no, no hesitation. It was like, a very, a very personal. Back. It's like doubly shutting up and, and, and suffocating to death. Um, this is a, a wholesome uh, tradition we've started, Maddie. I know. I love it. So, Patty, who, anybody uh, jump onto the kill list during that series? Beforehand, I believe we said Marcus Morris. Oh, yes, Marcus Morris for sure, and he earned it. Uh, uh, I always don't like, uh, uh, you know, Reggie Jackson has that those bug eyes. So Yeah, he really started to look like the Red Skull to me during that, oh, and that he series. bitched and moaned about everything. Like, his, his post-game four, when he was clearly not fouled in that last shot, like, he clearly wasn't, and he kept bitching about it. Uh, yeah. That was really annoying and just, just, just embarrassing. Stanley Johnson surprised me with just. Oh I, yeah, he came out of nowhere. He wasn't on our radar at all. Oh wildcards! I like him. I, I drafted him in my uh, fantasy league. Um, Shame on you. Um, and then uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, yes, I'm sorry. Shame on me. But but 
what was surprising was I never noticed him on the court at all. <laughs> just occasionally he has some tough defense on LeBron, whatever. Everyone has, you know, those moments. But uh, I only noticed him in the post game. That's an embarrassing thing. You only noticed in post game comments. That means he, he had a couple big threes early in the series. He did. He did. That's true. That's true. He just totally disappeared once he started running his mouth. Totally. And not, they, I, not ideal. And he kept running his mouth. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was weird. So, uh, yeah, he jumped on that list. Uh, Tobias Harris was totally invisible in the series from a hate perspective and a, an actual, like, like yeah, did, did, uh Did the people's elbow that Andre Drummond dropped on LeBron move him up at all for you? Uh, it, it, it would have, except the story I heard where he, like, was waiting outside the Cavs locker room to uh, talk to, to LeBron. Apologize, yeah. And I, I soon to apologize. He talked to, you know, Kyrie when he came out and then Love. But, of course, you have to wait a long time for LeBron because LeBron goes through a long icing process right before he'll talk to the media, or at least for, for playoff games. Yeah. And he uh, – finally, LeBron came out, and LeBron just walked right past him and even looked him in the face, just like he wasn't even there, which is, fuck one, awesome. Like <laughs> – no, I'm just, a fan of that move. You weren't playoffs. I'll talk to you after the series. Basically, what well, what how I interpret that is like I'm not talking to you now. You yeah. threw it over my head, and we're gonna talk about it after after the series, not now. And that's the right way to go about it. So I, you know, and he didn't kept he didn't keep doing it. And it was that no. one game. Yeah, I out. agree. For the most part, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Right. I think this was this was the Marcus Moore show for the most part with Reggie Jackson making some timely oh. guest appearances and. Stanley and, Johnson running his mouth a little bit, but Mar- Marcus Morris is the uh, runaway winner. Again, the stand, the standout, the standout, and I still, yeah, I still kind of want to kill him. Um, a standout moment for me was I think it was a game one where we had some early Timo minutes, and Timo, you know, didn't, he went up, he contested a shot, and he got called for a foul that shouldn't have been a foul. He went straight up, and as soon as it was done, Marcus Morris just started jawing at him like yeah. so much. It was an obvious technical. Obviously. Yeah, I don't know how he didn't get teed up for that. Timo yeah, didn't react at all either. I was that's like, how. Timo didn't react. Timo just immediately yeah. like, – Timo acted like he was a fly, which was great. He was just like, I, who are you? Who are you? It, just, it, just, it wasn't like yeah, – he, he's a gigantic man who could just, just destroy Marcus Morris. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you yeah, know, so just – fuck you, Marcus Morris. You are, you are such a mediocre player. That runs his mouth as if he's much bigger than he is, and that's one of the things I hate most. Which brings me, Maddie. I don't know. He was pretty good that series, Patty. Uh, he played. He played fine. But he, uh, honestly, he when he had his moments because the shot was going, he would fall in love with it, and he would he would always repay it back. It was almost like the all roads lead to forty rule for Larry. Yeah, Hughes. yeah, yeah. All roads lead to eventually you're gonna miss a ton of shots, which is what he did. And I, I never I never worried about him. He hit a bunch of shots. But like, great, you're gonna miss a ton later. This is great. What about when he was? What about when he was just taking Kevin Love to the basket? Does that that worry you at all? Nah, because Kevin Love also hit him up a couple times too, um, and he he didn't do it with regularity to really punish us. He had a couple good drives. Uh, you know, there were some bad moments, but we worked around it. I was not really that concerned. Hmm. Okay. Um, did you you disagree? No, I thought he was pretty good actually. It sort of made me want to ask him. Okay. Uh, his playing ability. All right. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I, if, if I'm discounting his, his, the, the level of his play is because I'm, I'm hating. That's fair enough. I think I'm permitted. Uh, but speaking of, of people who get outsized notions of their actual playing ability and then act their way onto the kill list because of that, I want to lead off the Hawks kill list with Ken Bazemore. Oh, yeah. He was a, he, he, a surprise entry last year on our, on our, one of our inaugural podcast. Yep. 
Uh, he, uh, he's way better. He's way better now, Patty. Way better now. So I'm gonna the hate level was ratcheted up as as, as, as a result of that. If someone's really good, they're going to do things that drive you crazy. And so when they act out and, and act all tough and mean mug, then you hate them even more. So Kent Bazemore is the the top of my list uh, of the Hawks people that I like to kill. You? Uh, I think Schroeder for me. Hmm. Yes, Schroeder again. The principal. Of, he's he's really like, he's really yapping like a little dog. Yes, he is. Right now, which I enjoyed when Isaiah Thomas was on the other end of it. I will enjoy less when it's poor little Delhi on the other end of it in the in the series to come. It'll make me very mad. I fear. Poor little Delhi. I mean, yeah, poor little Delhi will get torched, but isn't Delhi the dirty one? No, Delhi's not dirty. I know, I'm stopping that right now. Good. Good. He's tough. Yeah. He's not really poor little Delhi. He's gonna ha- stand up for himself just fine. He'll be fine. Uh, but it, it'll it'll annoy me. Whoever he decides to get into it, I, I feel like the Cavs are a little bit above that right now, which I like. They didn't really engage ever. No, which is uh, great on court in that Pistons series. Um, except, I, I, I enjoy that a lot. Except for Jr. On your TV, relevant huh, till June. So right, so right, so right. Shoot, he shot over 50% from three point range in that series. He was fantastic. Fantastic. Also, the best point, uh, uh, his best moment was uh, 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 he, had, he had this one fan hacking the hell out of him in game three. Oh, the one he shushed. Oh, yeah. nail that three, turn around, shush the guy. The dude tried to like front on him and like it was just crazy. I think he, I think he got kicked out of the game, actually, kicked out of the arena. Uh but that was great because he was acting the whole game and he just like shushed him and it was it was great. Uh, JR was fantastic. Just uh, what a revelation. I'm so happy. He's a lot of aggressive fan interactions in the first round. It was crazy, right? Did you With see the, that dude in Charlotte on Friday? Yeah, the purple shirt guy. Yeah. That, that was the most aggressive fan-to-player trash talking I think I've ever seen. Well, he might have, he might have been like a heat plant though, because he kind of he kind of. Yeah, no, no, he's a Charlotte. I read a, a profile about him. He's a Charlotte season ticket holder. Okay, okay. You know, you know the heat uh, uh, paid him to rile up the the heat to get them going. No, no I do not. Yeah, okay, neither do I. Um, all right, anyway, besides Schroeder and and Bazemore, I would have thought Bazemore would be on your top list. You hated him real hard. I think he was your top eight uh, at the end of the series last year. He was on my fantasy league team this year, so I developed a soft spot for him. <laughs> As I he, said, I, I appreciate he, it. Is like, uh, uh, I'm totally overmatched, but I'm not going to back down. I'm going to have confidence no matter what, and I can snap to the best player in the world. I, li- I like some part of me like that, you know, kind of uh, uh, against all odds mentality. Sure. But now, now I hate it. No, it'll be, I'll get mad at him again. Don't worry. Uh, Al Horford, I think, could get on there. I was about to say, do you think that, Maddie? do you think there is the possibility of the Hawks getting frustrated and um, uh, intentionally trying to injure somebody in the Cavs because last year? It's possible. I mean, I think, I think in, the, in, in sort of the cold light of day, they've, they've realized that Delhi wasn't trying to do something intentional there. I didn't see it at all in the, in the games we played with them during the season. Uh, have have you have you have you uh, followed uh, uh, Al Horford, Mrs. Al Horford's Twitter feed? She's still talking about Delhi. Yeah, but you know, like like yeah. as of last week, she was talking about Delhi. Can't control what your wives are doing. You know how how that is, man. 
Yeah, am I holding you responsible for everything yeah. Becca says? Shh, Manny. <laughs> there. <laughs> We're not happy with it right now. Oh. Um, all right, anybody worry you on the uh, on the Hawks? Sure, plenty to worry about. Plenty to worry about. Three-point shooting, they can get hot in a moment and just go bonkers. There's not much you can do about it. Starting with Corver, but continuing. I mean, that happened the last game we played them. Yeah. Where Bazemore was just going nuts. He did that in the Celtics series, too. They're capable of that. Uh, everybody on that in their starting lineup can hit threes. Yeah, I don't like that um, That Corver was cold from three for the first four games and then has been hot the last two. Yeah, just in, uh, just in time for us. Just in time for us, yeah. That worries me. The dribble penetration from their guards is of deep concern. He had a layup line against us last time we played them. But again, despite all that, we kind of handled them not fairly easily, but they weren't nail biters. I mean, they're close games, but we, we pulled away in the end. No, it's pretty reminiscent of the of this Pistons series, actually, and its, yeah. and its toughness and quality and duration. Yeah. Um, um, so those two things, they have a good defense, right? They have the best defense in the league the second half of the year, if not, if they didn't get up there for the whole year. Um, and for a team like us that has shown a tendency to just shit the bed in important moments offensively, mm -hmm. uh, that worries me. Yeah. Uh, so I think those are my, my three big concerns. Them getting hot from three, dribble penetration, and just the, the overall quality of their defense. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree with that. One thing I worry about is that Millsap was non-existent last year, and the the, the, the supposed theory is that Christian uh, Thompson is the uh, uh, Millsap poison, right? Yeah, I don't believe that. No, either. I think Millsap had a bad series, and Millsap has been great. Yeah, uh, so good. Series. So I worry about him coming. See them all regular season two. Millsap didn't really show us up, uh, from from my memory. Um, so I'm worried about him turning on and changing the equation, put it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's my concern is that they get really hot. Uh, Millsap uh, figures out TT and uh, uh, they change the equation and this becomes uh, another tough series. Um, but again, you know, this track record, we, this is the team we wanted because we, we wanted – I'd rather face the better team that isn't trying to injure us. Oh, this, we've talked about this offline. I'm so glad not to get the Celtics, yeah. not to get the Celtics back. Uh, one, I think Avery Bradley. There was a decent chance he was going to be back for this round, which they makes them tougher right yeah. away. Um, I think that Hawks series would have gone seven if Bradley had been healthy, um, and even Celtics might even won. Yeah. Um, and two, I just don't trust them not to do the shit that they do, which is quote unquote get physical, which really means play dirty. Yeah, to and, me, and I I wanted no part of that again. It's not I don't need guys getting hurt. No, we for, don't need for a team that's not that good and not really going anywhere to try to do something. I don't know. Yeah, that exactly. that was unacceptable to me last year. I don't trust the NBA or its officials to be able to keep that in check. Mm -hmm. And no, I'd much rather face a Hawks team that's better and plays. I don't know, real basketball. Yeah, lack of a better word. Agreed. Um, yeah, so for me, Corver, Millsap, uh, where I mean, Horford obviously is always solid and good. Uh, Teague, Teague gives us fits, man. Teague. He, well, here's the thing. Last year, what did we do with Teague? We let him shoot threes because he was terrible at it last year. Yep. He, he fixed it. 
He fixed it a little. He's still not a great outside shooter. And I suspect that's still what we'll try to do with him. But you're absolutely right. There's every chance that he could that, that could bite us. That's what worries me. I'm going to go look up his stats right now. Because every time I watch him, he's been just nailing threes. But what our strategy last year, uh, let's see. you know, he shot 40% this year from three. So that's what worries me. He was at 34% before, 32 the year before that, 35 or before that. You know, he, he was – Shooting a low enough percentage that it was a, it was a balanced strategy and a very strange strategy because people respect his three-point shot. We were just like, no, go ahead, shoot it. We just don't want you to drive. You shoot three all day. Just stop driving, which he did, and they stagnated. But now he's hitting 40% threes. You know, and he shot the he, most times he ever had in his career, 235, and he hit 40% of them. That's, that's worrisome. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. So that's another big thing that I think to, to look for is, is how does lose defense account for Jeff Teague because uh, we can't do what we did against them last year, which is leave them open for threes. And uh, for some yeah. reason, they are reluctant to do this, but I'm super worried about the Teague-Schroeder backcourt combo, mm-hmm. which mean, I think would mean Deli and Shump. Maybe? I don't know. We might need Shump in this series, which is a, Very worries, me, worries me greatly. Yeah, Why, what the hell happened to him? Like he was, you, I mean, man, when he first started – from injury, he was just drilling threes. And then he tried to, you know, drive towards the basket and things started to unravel and they all got, they all went to shit from there. But He's like, got a, th- this is a bit I've been meaning to do and we won't do it today. Maybe if the Cavs advance, we'll, we'll do it for the next round. But like the, the quirk for each player that you watch him do it and you're like, do not do that. If I could find you for doing this, I would do it. For him, it's, it's more than one dribble at a time. Oh God. Anytime uh, he's going to the hoop, I'm like, oh, my God, I know where this is going. He, he turns the ball over like crazy in those situations. Handles like, terrible. Uh, it's like it's, it's the thing that drives me more crazy than that he does, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find this. But, like, uh, I, 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 got, I got real mad at him in the middle of uh, – yeah, this is what happened, I think. I was uh, – we watched the game, uh, Becca and I, although Becca was actually watching Lennon, you know, the Beyonce Lennon video. Uh, lemonade? Why? Lemonade? Is lemonade. That what you mean? I'm just, you know, I, 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 Jesus, Pat. Eh, whatever. Um, but uh, somebody just said. Michael? Did Michael get on the on the podcast with me somehow? Oh, my God. My, my dad wouldn't even know that this even existed. So I, the fact that I even got, you know, half a name right. Eh, this right. is pretty intense. Uh, uh, anyway, no. Uh, uh, it's just that. I, the whole point is like I, I, I screamed at my TV when 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 he started dribbling one of these games, like just driving with the basket. And it's like it's the one thing that drives me nuts, like more than anything, is just just he just put the ball down on the floor and bad things happen every time. He can't finish one. He's a terrible finisher. Yep. He's athletic and being able to get to the rim. That's, I get why he's tempted to do it because he can get to the rim and he's very athletic and he can dunk. Nobody but, misses more dunks than him. No one misses more dunks than him. No one misses more layups than him, except maybe Deion Waiters. <laughs> uh, and and so, but then he'll try and pat. He'll just he just he just he's got to be three and D. He's got to yep. know that and realize it and, and just just specialize in it. Because honestly, he has a decent jump shot. He has a decent jump shot. I actually don't hate it when he pulls up from a deep two because he's very good at that. Actually, um, it's not a great shot in basketball analytics, but you know he can hit it. I'd rather get better at hitting that three version of that and yes. only take that shot. That's what I want him to do 
And that's why I'm not that upset that like he's had a bad off year. I feel like still the the, the four year ten dollar ten million dollar year investment was worth it given his defense. Um, but like he's got to focus on those threes and let that shit go. No, I think we're gonna need him this series too. Yeah, no, it's trouble. All right, uh, we're running a long time, but uh, uh, anything, else, anything else that worries you about the Hawks before we move on? No, I think that's the that's the the bulk yeah. of it. Well, Mills, they're, te- they're a good team. Listen, I, I I'll jump ahead. I think we're gonna win. Yep. Um, we've won seven straight against that team. I feel pretty good about that as a matchup. Um, but they worry me, and it wouldn't shock me to see them get one of these first two games in Cleveland. I was just gonna say one of the things that worries me the, the most, and the thing to look for is we've been off for a week. The Hawks yeah. a couple of days. Uh, this reminds me of when we were off for a week and the uh, Orlando Magic. Uh, had a, a hard-fought series against the Celtics. They won, and they were just in rhythm. They were feeling good. They were hitting their shots, and they came out, and they blitzed us in game one and put us in our heels, and I could see that happening in this Hawks series, and I'm very nervous. Although, actually, as I remember that game, Pat, we jumped out to an enormous lead, and then they oh. they came back on us. I did, I did not see that. That happened for both those I was, two I was, I was in Vietnam at the time, which is one of the uh, – Oh, that's right. You to jinx us. Is it, was your, it was your fault. That's right. I remember now. During the the NBA playoffs and horrible things happened like that. So I remember that. Me. I'm glad you're sticking around this year. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll get to predictions in a minute. But, uh, yeah, so to recap, Millsap uh, figuring out TT and the Cavs, one thing worries us. Corford's uh, uh, always solid. The fact that Corver's uh, hot now and he wasn't hot against us in any of the games we played uh, previously – Maybe that's going to do with us. We'll see. I'm a little worried about that. And Teague being a different player this year than he was last year is, I think, the biggest X factor. Teague, I think, is the one. Shooter, a shooter specifically. Yes, shooting. The fact that he can shoot means we have to play him tighter up in the three-point lines, which opens up those driving lanes for him. And he, yeah. had, a, he had a layup line against Kyrie in our last game against him in the regular season. We still pull it out, but Jesus. Um, all right. Um, other series that happened before we move on to our, our final predictions and, and things to watch for in the series in particular. Uh, the Heat just wrapped up their series in, in, in a blowout game seven. Just, yeah, that was too bad. I was hoping the Hornets were going to take care of that for us. I wanted to take care of in game six, and they nearly did. You know, that was that, too bad. That's a bummer because that's still the team that scares me the most, big time. Me too. Scary, scary team. So uh, I am watching the I'm watching the Raptors Pacers right now. Who do you want to win that game to give the Heat the hardest time? I think I want the Raptors, but I'm worried that the Raptors look terrible. Yeah, they've been up and down this series, man. What, I mean, what's, they, the what's the score right now? The Raptors are up by six with about four minutes left in the half. Okay, great. I, I, I feel like the Raptors might – I haven't watched how much the Raptors how, – how they played the Heat, but I feel like they have – I don't know. I feel like they have the most – I believe they won two of three against the Heat this year. Yeah, I think like the Raptors – Or maybe three of four. They, I think they match up best against them, and I would just hope they hit and knock them off because I feel so much better against the Raptors. Uh, that would be against the Heat. Uh, what's up with the Golds that were continued ridiculous bullshit luck? Like, they have their best player go down, and what immediately, immediately happened, not just one day later, but he's out for, like, two, two, two weeks, right? Yep. Uh, Although they're saying maybe less than that now. He might only miss the first two games of the series. He's saying game three, yeah. So maybe, yeah. So that's the point. But still, missing two games of the series. That happens. Who are they playing? One, they're already playing the Houston Rockets, who are like the worst playoff team, I think, in history, potentially. It was certainly up there, right? Arguable. At least for their effort. Just in terms of how bad they were in the actual games. Uh, uh, and then 
they uh, uh, one day later, Chris Paul's out for the season, and uh, in the exact same game, uh, Blake Griffin gets hurt. Like that's yeah, pretty team. unbelievable. They're a great team. They're the, probably one, they're, they're easily up there on some of the greatest team ever discussions. They're also the luckiest team ever. Like this is ridiculous. What's also crazy is that without Curry, they still. I mean, they lost the one game, but their average margin of victory – they lost one game where they shot like shit. Their average margin of victory was in the 20s, 20 points against the Rockets team. They blew out the Blazers today. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, more than I, I think the Cavs could do without LeBron James, for instance. No, yeah, we couldn't possibly. We'd be, we'd be destroyed by almost every team in the league without LeBron James. So there's that. Uh, no, as somebody else pointed out, I think about the 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 mat, sorry the um, the, the goal warriors goal, is that they can win a knuckle dragging defensive uh, uh, battle. Yeah, they can win that very easily. They're very happy playing that kind of game. Uh, they're just they're just incredibly incredibly good. Uh, and the Spurs, of course, also destroyed the shit out of the, the Oklahoma City. Yeah, they looked. I watched the first half of that game. They looked nasty. What Oklahoma this, City looked terrible, but they yeah. What did they score in the first half? As forty-three in the first quarter, I think they had seventy seven seven. points in the first seventy-three in the first half, seventy-two. All right, crazy. Um, all right. Wrapping up, nine Maddings, nine o'clock's coming. Uh, what's your? What are your three factors? The Cavs win if this happens. These three things happens. They lose if these three things happens. They uh, win if they keep hitting. 10-plus three-point shots a game. Um, Kyrie is their leading scorer. And And LeBron averages uh, close – like his points, rebounds, assists are close to where he was in the Pistons series. You know, like a 20-something, 22-9-7. Right, if LeBron is facilitating. Yeah. And Kyrie's scoring, and we're still bombing threes. Yeah. Okay. those are all offensive points, so I'll, I'll try and go defensive. Okay. But I'll say uh, if we keep Teague out of the paint layup line, if he finds some way, the way we kind of did with, with Reggie Jackson, the thing is we kept Reggie Jackson out of that mold. That's what's exciting to me. It was, it was encouraging to me. We kind of kept him, for the most part, out of that. Um, it was worried more because he had uh, Drummond to help, help him finish on the pick and roll. Um, so if we can do that again, that's a big factor that if we win. Uh, uh, the other point I give is that we continue to give Millsap and Horford fits. Uh, uh, I, you know, more Millsap than Horford. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can contest the three. We can, we can, we can make the threes difficult. As if was, the thing about the, the, the Hawks in the Southern series is that Hawks were missing a ton of wide-open threes, which we can't count on. Um, but if we can find a way to contest the threes better than we did against the Pistons – That'll be a key to winning. So I'll go to those three, those three defensive ones to go through three offensive notes. Uh, that's what will make them win. And, again, we lose if those things don't happen. Two out of those three don't happen, I think we're screwed. We see two out of those three things that happen, and we'll pull out wins on each, on each ledger, I think. I think that's reasonable. All right, your prediction for the series. I'm going to go Cavs in six. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Cavs in six. Um, I'm very nervous, as I always am, because the Cavs can always blow it. But uh, – uh, yeah, that's what I think. Uh, uh, Chris, what, what are your, what's your prediction? Uh, the, the, the Cavs in three. Cavs in three. Ooh. Oh, that would, be, that would be incredible. 
that would be fantastic. Historic, even. All right, that does it for the Cleveland Sports Hour. Uh, until next time, this is Maddie and Patty and Chrissy saying, you have to say this, Matt. You have to say this all one long roll. <laughs> he's not going to do it. He doesn't want to do it. Maddie, he doesn't want to do it. What the hell? No, that's okay. We don't make people do things. That's what child is in the room? Friends, don't, friends don't do that. Friends don't make friends do embarrassing things. Sorry, Maddie, you and me. It's Maddie and Patty saying, Friendship. Ship. Ah, we kind of blew it a little bit. That's eh, all right. All right, Maddie, go, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Talk to you soon, buddy.